Hi everyone, this is Devin Boker, and this is The Wildlife. Sort of. Well, it's not The Wildlife Sort of, it's it's Sort of The Wildlife. Although at this point I might as well start calling it The Wildlife Sort of, since I say it every time. But anyways, this is our sub-series, the much shorter, much more condensed version where we share uh, little snippets of information, um, a little bit from our blog and audio form, and things like that. And today... Today I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a ghostly parasitic plant that survives by hacking the wood wide web. Now that's something we're going to talk about in much more detail in I believe episode 5 of season 2, but in the meantime, this ought to hold you over. But in order to tell the story, I'm going to have to travel back a little bit um, to Labor Day weekend, actually. My wife and I, with our son on my back, hiked about 15 miles across several of the Minnesota North Shore State Parks. It was midway through our hike at Cascade River, just south of Grand Marais, where I spotted something in my periphery that I had never seen before. Now, I have to admit, I had no idea what I was looking at. The identity and nature of this Susian xenomorph completely eluded me. At first glance, I concluded that it had to be a mushroom, or a fungi of some kind. Yet, after leaning in for a closer look, I discovered leaves? What appeared to be a flowering structure, traits that fungi don't really have. So, I did what any good millennial or naturalist would do, and I snapped a picture. Fortunate enough, we happened to be in the one spot of the park that seemed to have any cell service. So, I did a couple of quick searches, and yeah, I mean, I could have waited until later, but my sense of curiosity is a little bit too strong, so I decided to look then, and after roughly 30 seconds, I found its name, Monotropa uniflora. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty generic, bland, vanilla name, Monotropa uniflora, um, basically one in one, so nothing too exciting there, but its life history was unexpectedly fascinating. As I said before, I hadn't been sure on the planty, fungi nature of my find, and I was certain others would have the same dilemma. Now, I've already ruined it for you a little bit here by telling you that it was a parasitic plant, but bear with me. I turned to Instagram to test out my idea. So, 70% of the respondents said it was a fungi, 30% my wife, who doesn't really count because she had already seen it at this point, said it was a plant. The minority were right. This ghostly plant goes by several common names, ghost plant being one of them. Others are ghost pipe, corpse plant, or as it's referred to locally, Indian pipe. The first thing that you'll notice when you look at an image of this plant, and there will be a link in this podcast uh, description that will go to a blog post about this and, and some pictures as well. The first thing that you'll notice is pinkish white with flecks of black. Certainly not colors that you often associate with uh, plants, leaves, and stems. See, as you probably already know, the green pigment commonly associated with most plants comes from chlorophyll. And these chlorophyll perform several functions, all which are vital to photosynthesis and, and their life. The main one being the absorption and transfer of 
white energy into food, making it into sugar. The Indian pipe, as you might have gathered by this point, lacks those vital ingredients for photosynthesis. So how does it get its energy? How does it make food to survive? Well, it doesn't. The Indian pipe is categorized as a mycoheterotroph. That means that they get their energy through a symbiotic relationship with a certain host. Fungi. They tend to make their home, or host, of fungi in the family, uh, I believe it's pronounced uh, Rusulacae, but I know that I butchered that, so whatever. (laughs) They produce over 1,900 species of gilled mushrooms. Remember, mushrooms are but the reproductive organs of fungi whose bodies exist beneath the soil in a vast network of fine white filamentous tubes called hyphae, which, when grouped together in a dense strand, are referred to as mycelium. This will become more relevant in a second. You see, fungi being fungi and not plants also lack chlorophyll, meaning fungi aren't capable of making their own sugar either. Those long, incredibly thin hyphae tubes work by creeping their way through the soil, into and between rocks, like little mining tunnels, or a dead bird, or a pocket of minerals, and once there, they secrete a dissolving acid, which allows them to slurp a nice, healthy broth of nutrients. Nothing like a rock shake, or a dead fish shake, right? Now, admittedly, this is a major oversimplification of a very complicated process, but as I said, this is a brief explanation that's intentional because we will be diving in much deeper and I think it's episode five, but it's midway through season two. So, fungi are actively assisting in the decomposition of dead stuff, right? And they're mining for rocky stuff, right? Which means they are truly great at gathering minerals. But not so much when it comes to sugar, no. Which is why fungi often must turn to their much larger, friendly neighbor to borrow a cup of sugar. In exchange, they'll lend some minerals and phosphorus and nitrogen and micronutrients and a surprisingly large amount of water. I'm referring to trees, of course, or rather their roots. That family of fungi I mentioned earlier, well, they are what you would call mycorrhizal meaning they colonize plant roots to form an intricate symbiotic exchange system connecting plant and trees to other plants and trees in a massive underground nutrient exchange and savings vault system called the wood wide web. This means that Indian pipe, that non-photosynthetic parasitic plant I'm talking about here, is essentially inserting itself into a system like an Old West train robber or an ocean's heist to steal the hard-earned sugar from the fungi, which was originally made by another photosynthetic plant for the fungi. If that isn't excitingly mind-boggling and fascinating to you, then I'm sorry, but we can't be friends. And to make matters more interesting, the lives of Indian pipe are incredibly fleeting and difficult to predict, living what is referred to as in ephemeral existence. They require very specific conditions, the right amount of moisture after a period of dryness in order to grow. Once they begin, they are typically full grown within just a few days. 
However, not needing light for photosynthesis, that means they can grow in a wide range of light conditions, including very dark. They first pop up in early summer, and they continue that cycle of parasitic existence until mm, about early fall, when their waxy white bodies standing up to a foot off of the forest floor began to wither to a brown and black as their seeds mature and fall to the ground, only to begin again the following year. This has been Devin Boker and The Wildlife. Thank you for listening. Be on the lookout for season two. And remember, The Wildlife is listener, reader, and viewer supported. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash thewildlife. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends. Bye.